Welcome, audience. Welcome, you podcasting beans, with a penchant for Mr. Profit and his chemohawked sessions of all things successful, strategic, and silly at times. I welcome you with open F-Star's arms and allow you to disarm your defenses here. These sessions are a safe, soothing sanctuary for you. As we unwind the toll of the daily grind, we know we have to rest and reassemble to unwind all over again. We do so in good spirits, for we also consume delicious high-priced spirits and reset the clock on Kimohawk. As you know, there is always another session awaiting your audible pleasure. Here we go, audience. Here we go! That was loud, and I'm proud of that. Remember, drink on the F-Star's clock if you are working virtually. I dare you. I challenge you. It will make you happy. And in that happiness, you might just spread some to others. The gift that continues to give, dear audience. Drink, imbibe, and imbue, if you think you can get away with it. I just rewatched the other night a pseudo-contemporary war film called American Sniper. This was directed by the great Clint Eastwood, who I could spend hours talking about just the man, the legend that he is. But speaking of legends, American Sniper is based on the American legend, Chris F. Stars Kyle, where Bradley Cooper plays the eponymous legend, or also known as Devil of Ramadi, American Sniper, Chris Kyle. The stirring, revelatory scene that stuck with me throughout that film's two-plus-hour running time was when it dawned on Mr. Kyle that he could aid his allies, support his soldiers, and comfort his comrades right here at home in a tangible, no less effective way in civilian life, and did not need to seek out a fifth tour in the war-torn sandbox miles away to be helpful. He could use his status, prestige, experiences, and personal tribulations to help those who made it back. The look that washed over Bradley Cooper's face when the therapist explained it to him was unforgettable. Now, Bradley Cooper was nominated for Best Actor at the Academy Awards for his portrayal of Mr. Kyle, and it was a fantastic performance. Something clicked on Bradley Cooper's face, and in that click came an emphatic epiphany. He can still be useful, add value, and not think of himself as abandoning his compadres. This was a crucial discovery for him. It is Mr. Prophet's recommendation, dear audience. And remember, <laughs> I am a doctor of all things Chemohawk session. Heed my advice. Along with enjoying this podcast, injecting yourself with a fresh dose of Chemohawk every time you click play on a new session, and impregnating your mind with the wisdom found in these words, and that you carry some of the takeaways and tutelage around in the compartments of your brain for many months to come, nine at least, if we're going with the impregnating example, so too is it my sound advice that you find your well-balanced, medium, middle-of-the-road, happy meal size at your white-collar company. Find that niche where you are qualified, comfortable, but that also is setting up your next felt-tipped pool table shot for success. If you are lucky in life, you may get a defining moment that from that moment on, there is crystal F-Star's clarity. I had Wham Bam Cam on as a guest. He spoke a little about his tribulations and things that occurred to him in life, things that gave him perspective and flipped the script on everything he thought he knew. 
Same thing happened to me. Same thing has probably happened to you. The important thing is to focus on the signs. Like a window that is slightly askew. There may be a window open in your peripheral. You just have to make sure you notice it, and if appropriate, act on it. Cancer, a gentle peck on death's cheek with a near-death brush, the loss of a loved one. But it can also be a benevolent catalyst. Winning the lottery, I talk with J-Dog all the time about winning the lottery. I don't even play the lottery, I think he occasionally plays the lottery, but I hope he does win for two reasons. One, he probably deserves it, and two, he knows me. So that could come around full circle and pay, actually pay in it forward in a very real way. Turning mandatory time away from work due to the Kung flu to force you to embrace the silence and reevaluate your position. We spoke about that in co-video conferences, but things can happen that present unexpected opportunities. Some of us are fortunate enough to achieve clarity. Make sure it is not a Pyrrhic victory, dear audience. Make sure it does not come at an unconquerable cost. Here's a few quotes for you to get those psychological juices flowing. The moment a little boy is concerned with which is a jay and which is a sparrow, he can no longer see the birds or hear them sing. Eric Burney. Podients, do not get bogged down in the imponderables and never be too technical for your own God D-Star's good. Enjoy things as they are meant to be enjoyed. My boy Lambro and I both struggle with the idea of thinking too much. We had a discussion a few weeks back and decided that ignorance can truly be blissful. If you're too dumb to know better, or if you're too lazy to think every conceivable contingency out, guess what? You enjoy things all the more. The fruit you taste is sweeter and juicier. Believe you me. Another quote. There are two means of refuge from the misery of life. Music and cats. Albert Schweitzer. Well, audience, I have sang for you. Vanilla Ice style wrapped for you. And I have shown you and told you of Othello. I am doing my part in carrying my share of the refreshing, high-priced, snow-capped aquifer water. Another quote. Life's tragedy is that we get old too soon and wise too late. Benjamin F. Stars Franklin. There is this thing called the dream circle. Sound F. Stars wisdom indeed. And it works like this. I will explain it to you as it was explained to me. When you are young, when you're a child, when you're in your formative years, when you're growing, you want everything. You don't want to hear bedtime stories about the news and the stock market. You want to hear about dungeons and dragons and dragon slaying and princesses on mountaintops. You want to hear about fantasy. You have this huge dream and this grand imagination when you're young. You would buy a Kevin McAllister McMansion if you could. You would buy a Bugatti or you would buy a Ferrari or something that ends in I and has a stallion on it. The point is when you're young, you want the world. You want to be an astronaut. You haven't been beat down yet. You haven't been beset with the stresses and pressures of life. But when you're young, you want so many things, but you have no means or resources of achieving them or of procuring them. When you're young, the best you can do is maybe drive a makeshift hand-me-down car from a father or a grandfather or a mother or grandmother or something. But that's not what you want. You don't want the effing station wagon. You want something cool, something sexy, but you just can't afford it yet. Now you're 72 years old and you have the money. You have the resources. The kids are off at college. The house is paid for. Your stocks are returning dividends daily. You have the resources, but you're 72. You have arthritis now. You're in pain. You have become more practical because life has forged you that way. So now you don't want the Ferrari. You don't want the mansion. 
a simple townhome will do in a nice community, and a simple Honda Civic will do you nice, as long as it's reliable and dependable. Every once in a while, you'll see a guy driving around in a Corvette who's like 65, but what do people say? They say he's going through a midlife crisis. No one is ever satisfied. But this dream circle is a real thing. The only way to truly be happy in life, per this dream circle, is if you were 18 years old and you had $50 million. Ah, but there's a problem there too. Sure, you could buy everything you want and you would be young and vibrant and healthy to enjoy it, but people would take advantage of you. You wouldn't know how to use the money. You wouldn't allocate it properly. You would need to have someone to manage your money. You need advisors. You need attorneys to make sure that you weren't raked over the coals. And then you would have to trust that they were not duplicitous. It's a real phenomenon, audience, the dream circle. Think about it. All this to say, enjoy what you have at whatever age you may be. And remember, your life is not over until you're no longer breathing fresh air. Welcome, audience, to chapter 25, 20 F-stars 5. That is a George Washington graced quarter coin. That is a quarter of a century. That is the age at which male drivers finally get a break on their God D-Stars insurance premiums. Chapter 25, white collar, black belt, melting point of workplace wax, soaring safely between sun rays and sea waves. Defining some terms slash expressions. For purposes of this episode's themes, I advise you now, dear listeners, we are about to deep dive delve Greek for a few ticks, but it will come back around all over again, so it is not for naught. A Pyrrhic victory. A victory that inflicts such a devastating toll on the victor that it is tantamount to defeat. I promised we would talk more about it in this episode and the prior short, and here we are. Such a victory negates any true sense of achievement or damages long-term progress. The phase originates from King Pyrrhus, who was son of Achilles and slayer of Priam at the taking of Troy. There was a battle against the Romans in 279 BC that destroyed much of his forces, and it forced the end of his campaign. Now they may have won the war, but the costs were too great. They could not resupply. The Romans suffered greater casualties, but they had a much larger pool of replacements that they could dip into. So the casualties had less impact on the Roman war effort than the losses of King Pyrrhus. It's often quoted, for example, if we are victorious in one more battle with the Romans, we shall be utterly ruined. That's from Plutarch. Think about that. You have a claim where you're trying to collect money from an adverse insurance carrier, or you have an argument that you're pushing on your boss to take to their superiors, or you have some negotiation that you're trying to work with a fellow colleague on who's going to do what on ABC Acme Project. It doesn't really matter the circumstances. The point is, don't be like a politician. Don't be like your M&Ms at work. Don't just think five minutes into the future. Think about the resounding implications of what you're talking about or what you're pursuing. Maybe you take a hit today and you give a little on a concession or on a negotiation because you're thinking long term. Now you're being sagacious. You're showing that wisdom that you may take a brief hit today to your pride or to a monetary amount or to something instant, but in the long run, it may serve you beautifully. You have to think past five minutes, audience. Are you going to be working where you're working for five minutes and then quitting and going somewhere else? Or are you going to be where you are now two years, five years, 10 years from now? If you are going to be where you are for quite a while, then treat decisions that you make accordingly and know that you can take shots to your pride and not everything has to be a win-win-win in the moment if you're playing the long con or the long strategy. Here is an abridged overview of Icarus and Daedalus. In Greek mythology, Icarus was the son of the master craftsman Daedalus. He was the creator 
of the labyrinth. The labyrinth was an elaborate structure designed and built by Daedalus for King Minos of Crete at Gnosis. Its primary function was to hold this terrifying monster called the Minotaur. Da Daedalus had so cunningly made the labyrinth, he could barely escape it after he built it. Sometimes, Podians, you may find yourself stuck, stumped, and stumbling inside a labyrinth at your WCC. Do you know those symptoms, dear Podians? Where your wheels are spinning? Spinning out, in fact. You produce grand ideas at work, preach better processes, pitch more efficient angles and dimensions to things, all to have those spinning wheels stall out, all forward momentum halted unceremoniously. I do know what that is like. You must escape the metaphorical labyrinth somehow, some way. The Minotaur was a mythical creature portrayed with the head and tail of a bull, but the body of a man. He was housed at the center of the labyrinth, which was a maze-like construction. Now, the Minotaur was eventually killed by the Athenian hero Theseus. At my former WCC, Camo was our Minotaur, a beastly, ugly, half-bull, half-man, who moved purposeless like a sloth and barred your way when he saw you climbing towards your own success. Minotaurs exist at your workplace, dear audience, some more monstrous than others, and we already discussed how you may feel trapped in a labyrinth maze. How do we solve this? There's one last piece of the puzzle. Ariadne's string is a string that helps guide someone through the labyrinth. It is red and woven from wool. According to the Athenian version, Minos attacked Athens after his son was killed. The Athenians asked for terms and were required to sacrifice seven young men and seven maidens every nine years to the Minotaur. Oh, you gotta love those old school religious sacrifices. One year, the sacrificial party included Theseus, a young man who volunteered to come and kill the Minotaur. Ariadne fell in love at first sight and helped Theseus, provided this man a sword and a ball of red fleece thread that she had been spinning so he could find his way out of the labyrinth by leaving a trail of the string behind. After he defeated the Minotaur, i.e. he's a hero, he was able to find his way out following that trail of string. Now, a little side trivia for you. In the movie Inception, with old Leo DiCaprio, the character of Ellen Page, man, whatever happened to her, sad story, but there was a time when Ellen Page was cute, and her name in the movie was Ariadne. It's no small coincidence that in the movie, she was hired to be the architect of the maze and to allow them escape routes. So that was quite a delectable play on Greek mythology in that movie Inception, one of Christopher Nolan's fabulous mind-bender movies. Let these chemohawk sessions be your spool of saving string, dear audience. Allow my comforting words to guide you as you glide into a fresh pursuit, or just as well, find a bigger pie slice of peace at your current white-collar construct. Lastly, onto Icarus and Daedalus, this episode title's inspiration. Icarus and Daedalus attempt to escape from Crete because they were imprisoned in a prison on an island by means of wings that Daedalus constructed out of feathers and wax. Daedalus warned his son Icarus, first of complacency and then of hubris, told him not to fly too high or too low because the dampness from the sea would clog his wings. The sun's heat would melt them if he flew too high. Icarus ignored those instructions and flew too close to the sun, which caused his wings to melt. He fell out of the sky, plunged into the sea, and died. This myth gave rise to an idiom that we've all heard, don't fly too close to the sun. His exact warning to Icarus, for the fogs about the earth may weigh you down, and the blaze from the sun are going to melt your feathers apart. One by one, Icarus's feathers fell like snowflakes. Icarus kept flapping his wings, but he had no feathers left and was only flapping his bare arms. Daedalus wept for his son and called the nearest land near where he drowned, 
Icaria, in the memory of him. Today, the supposed site of his burial on the island bears his name, and the sea near Icaria in which he drowned is called the Icarian Sea. I will sing you a few lyrics from a fantastic song called The Melting Point of Wax by post-hardcore band Thrice, and this will be the end of the Greek application of this episode. We will continue on in how that Greek mythology comes right back around again for purposes of our contemporary white-collar environment. I've waited for this moment all my life and more, and now I see so clearly what I could not see before. The time is now or never, and this chance won't come again. Throw caution and myself into the wind. There's no promise of safety with these secondhand wings, but I'm willing to find out what impossible means. A leap of faith. I hear the voice of reason screaming after me. You've flown far too high, boy. Now you're too close to the sun. Soon your makeshift wings will come undone. Cause the melting point of wax means nothing to me. Now that is an excellent take on the Greek lessons learned with Icarus flying too freaking close to the freaking sun. If you seek survival at your WCC, do not be too bold or speak too bluntly, lest you find yourself flapping a featherless contraption. Be vigilant in your observations, and never speak or more so type anything until you know just how you want to express yourself. Because remember, we're trying to find, for purposes of this episode, the happy medium. You don't want to fly too close to the sun with too much hubris, and you don't want to sail too low, because you will fall in the sea all the same. So we're trying to craft a very healthy, safe middle point for you to travel in your day-to-day. -day. Found an article, How to Assert Yourself at Work, by Layden Hayes. Why being a yes person is detrimental to your career. This person talked to their boss and was told by their boss, you need to learn how to say no. You cannot succeed personally and professionally otherwise. Miss Hayes was shocked. She'd been working around the clock to be the yes person, and instead of her work being rewarded, it was being reprimanded. While you may think you're being a go-getter, nose to the grindstone, doing good work with always a can-do attitude, you must remember, others may see your willingness to take everything on as being a pushover. If you are constantly working, saying yes to every project, never sticking up for yourself or your own time, you're flying too close to the sun. You're being too ambitious. And guess what? You're going to crash and you're going to drown. Does that sound like fun? Sucking up seawater at a gallon per second level? This leads people to pass off their work onto you, causing you to take blame or work harder than you have to or have the time to do. Being taken advantage of can make you feel stifled and can lead to career stagnation. Now, I heard in my former company of a department called the Dreaded and Lugubrious Liability Department, where you were constantly doing the work of others because their turnover was so sky F-stars high. Liability, people hated it, so they would leave, and then you would adopt new claims and new files from their workload. In fact, your actual workload may be 20% of your open inventory because people were constantly getting work that they were inheriting from people that left the department or left the company. That sounds terrible. Same thing happened in my former department. I worked so hard every day to zero out my diary so that I could keep up. And what reward did I get? Every time someone went on leave, maternity leave, paternity leave, they were fired, they quit, it doesn't matter. Every time someone was gone, I would inherit such a huge bulk of their inventory. And remember, they were not working their files as fastidiously as I worked my files. So now I'm just having to clean up spills and put out conflagrations. This was no good. I told my boss this, how unfair it was. You can imagine, Podience. You can imagine what I was met with on the other side of that table. How to be assertive at work. The goal is to stand up for yourself. 
which is easier said than done depending on your personality and your temperament. One piece of advice is to use I statements. Using I statements creates clarity in your workplace desires and leaves less room for ambiguous interpretation. This is especially helpful when you are talking yourself up and taking proper credit for various feats. Don't spend time talking about what we did on this project or what your contributions were to this larger group project. Say I. I led this project. I chaired that meeting. I, I, I. It is a great opportunity for you to be selfish when you're talking about your own achievements. You take the credit. Do not make it easy for your employer to wiggle out and try to spread the wealth. No, you take the credit for what you did and make that abundantly clear to them. Second tip, frame the topic at hand by highlighting benefits to your employer. If you phrase your own desires in a way that signals that you're a team player or have everyone's best interest in mind, you open yourself up to more respect from fellow colleagues or for management. It shows that you have considered a larger picture and not just yourself. Just something to show that you're thinking about things outside of your normal day-to-day -day workload. You state the problem matter-of-factly and make a very specific request. The more specific you are in your request to a manager, the harder it is for them to wiggle out of it. They, if you make a specific request, you put the ball in their court for them to have to make a specific denial. Tip number three, make your reasons clear. Now, we talked about the art of specificity in a prior podcast episode, in a prior Chemohawk session, but being more specific about the reason for your request or feedback reveals to others the full context of what you need. This clarity helps reduce additional questions. The key in applying your assertiveness is prep and practice. First, you get clear about what you want, respectfully, kindly. This is, again, taking that middle road where you're not just telling people their job and telling them what you expect out of them, but you are being kind and you are being reasonable. It's important to first know what you want and need and why you need it. Getting clear about why this really matters will help you stick to your ground and your guns later on. Additionally, practice. Practice with someone first, someone that you trust. See how it sounds talking out loud. And of course, follow up in person. This way you won't change your mind mid-conversation and you can be clear and direct in your initial communique. Coming back around to Icarus one last time, there was a literary interpretation that was eventually found in the myth and structure and consequence of overambition. But with Icarus, he struggled with things that exist in our contemporary white-collar environment. In psychology, there have been studies of what they call the Icarus complex with respect to the alleged relationship between fascination for high ambition and ascensionism. Seth Godin, in a 2012 work, The Icarus Deception, points to the historical change in how Western culture both propagated and interpreted the Icarus myth, arguing, we tend to forget that Icarus was also warned not to fly too low because seawater would ruin the lift in his wings. In a way, flying too low is even more dangerous than flying too high because it feels deceptively safe. Take a moment with that. He could have flown too low or too high and he chose too high. I don't think that's a quinky dink. I think he had ambition. He wanted to go higher, higher. He wanted to brave the sun. He wanted to meet that sun and give it a wet sloppy kiss on its face. Why? Maybe because Icarus was ambitious. Maybe too ambitious. And I've told you prior, audience, that being too ambitious is one of the worst qualities ever. You know who I think should be sheriff of a community? Or a real leader of a lot of people? The person that doesn't F-Stars want it. If you don't want the position, I trust you with the position. Because you will end up taking it out of duty, not out of your own selfish ambitions. One man's thoughts. But I can tell you that old George Washington comes to mind, and I can tell you that he did what he did out of duty, as has been documented. He didn't get some sort of personal self-satisfaction. He did it because he felt that it was his country-bound duty to act. That is a good driving force. 
That is a healthy driving force. Do those people at work that you know to be overly ambitious, are they taking a happy, healthy, safe middle road and they're happy where they are? Are they constantly aiming and angling and scheming for more? Watch these people, dear listeners. And your managers, did they all get there just by accident? Or were they doing things a little bit more nefarious? Things that, I don't want to lob accusations, but were they being a mattress for someone? Were they doing a tit-for-tat? Was it a situation where you give me this now, and I will be a dutiful follower of all things that you say, Tadpole? Who knows the arrangement? All I know is that some managers that I encountered, it left me to question their intentions and how they arrived at their current placement position. There's a quote about curiosity. Curiosity killed the cat. Now you've all heard this. But did you know that there is a second portion of that historic quote, Curiosity killed the cat, but satisfaction brought it back. It is a variation that includes the rejoinder, but satisfaction brought it back, because the original version was used to warn of the dangers of unnecessary investigation or experimentation. However, there could be a satisfaction that was attained by pursuing that curiosity. And of course, cats are unique because they have these multiple lives. Remember, it's okay to take chances and take risks and explore some of your own curiosities at work. Try a new position. Try to take on a little bit of an extra burden, as long as you see the value in it. Curiosity may kill you, audience, but satisfaction of said curiosity might just bring you back. Lazarus, resurrection, Lazarus pit style. There's a scene from that fabulous sports drama, Moneyball. Do you know why, by the way, I refer to scenes from this flick with recent frequency? Because it made a lasting F-Stars impression. Don't you want to make that type of indelible impression with your work product, dear listeners? Like I said, one of the things I took away with the most pride at my former company were those people that I coached along the way. I will never forget how helpful that seemed to them and how they reflected that back to me. So there was Scout Barry in the movie Moneyball. We're all told at some point in time that we can no longer play the children's game. We just don't, don't know when that's going to be. Some of us are told at 18, some of us are told at 40, but we're all told. Take away from that, dear listeners, act now. Don't wait too long. If you're happy where you are, make sure you take steps to stay there safely. Make sure that you remain viable. But if you're not happy where you are, go ahead and switch out of your department before you get miserable. I was to that point. I was deep in misery. It was time to sever that gangrenous limb. Make changes now and don't put it off too long. Learn vicariously through the auspicious osmosis of these sessions of my tribulations, loyal listeners. You must pick your battles. This is another example of working the middle of the road. What I did in subrogation, we would try to bring back millions of dollars each year. That was the goal. And this thing came up where we would have some claims that were between three dollars and $5,000 in value. And it was a part claim, which means that a part failed in a customer's home. We have to get the part tested. We have to pay for the shipping, the testing, the report, all that. And the cost could be anywhere from $300 to $1,000. And remember, the most amount of money we can get back on this claim is between three dollars and $5,000. I see a lot of negative value in those claims. Because unless the part was brand F-Stars new, Usually, you are participating in the myth of Sisyphus, where you're rolling up this boulder every single day, only to start at the bottom of the mountain again. I told my boss, hey, you know, I've got several claims that are $7,500, $150,000, $200,000 in value, and you want me to spend time on this $3,300 part claim that's 10 years old and spend $500 all up to test it when we're not even going to know the results for six months to a year? This is asinine. You know what I was told? Falsetto, other people are sending the parts, and you can send the parts too. Oh, well, thank you for that wild wisdom. Maybe you should look at the bigger picture that none of us should be sending these rinky-dink part claims. I would need to achieve, the math suggests and confirms, that for me to bring in the amount of money that's needed to reach goal, 
I would have needed to achieve 100% success on 20 to 30 of those three to $5,000 part claims to achieve an improvement ranging between nominal and non-committal moderate. Are you kidding me? But I didn't go too far with it because remember, you have to pick your battles and you have to remember to stay in the middle of the road that your manager is operating on orders from their manager and they may be indifferent to it. So just don't make it personal. Know when to fight respectfully and when to take F-Star's flight. You have to believe in the value of what you are doing, dear listeners. But don't preach from your high horse too much. You are likely seen as a grunt in the overall campaign, after all. Nugget, personal nugget time. Woo, 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 woo. There is a silent effect I did not know I was having on some audience members. I call it phantom progress. You know, like phantom cell phone limb syndrome. I believe it to be as real as fruit bats being fruity and nut bats being nutty and basic bats being batty. Shout out to you, Captain Flint, who looks just like Captain Flint from Black Sails with your goatee. Listening to my podcast, the feedback is in. I can tell you that Captain Flint is a very smart man. He's an engineer. He's going places. He's living a rather enviable lifestyle. I did not think in a million years that Captain Flint would listen to my words. I never got the impression that he thought as highly of me as I thought of him. Who knows? But to find out that he became an avid listener, an avid loyal listener, who's probably listening to this episode just a few minutes after I post it, to know that he really took some things away from the episode Collarblind Collars, and that he finds himself in that very specific niche in his own company where he's trying to decide if he should stay or if he should go, that was gold to me to learn that it was having an effect. So I call it phantom progress because you, audience, may not think that you're making progress in anyone's life, but believe me, that phantom progress may be occurring. You just may not be able to see it. You may not be hip to it, but that doesn't mean it's not happening. I really was appreciative to learn that my boy Captain Flint is very much imbibing the Chemohawk sessions. Unwind with me with a newfound glee, dear listeners. Like my main man Lincoln said, you can fool all of the people some of the time, and you can fool some of the people all of the time. But you are not ever going to fool all of the people, all of the F-Star's time. I aim, I aim like Mr. Kyle, as previously talked about at the beginning of this episode, rest in peace, with expert precision to hit the three targets of these Chemohawk sessions to inform, educate, and entertain. I aim for all three packed neatly, Tetris style, into each one of these doses. But you tell me, dear listeners, please tell me if I am hitting my mark and obliterating all three metrics with surgical precision. I will leave you with a rousing scene from the trail end of that sports drama film, Moneyball. Billy Bean, it's hard not to be romantic about baseball. This kind of thing, it's fun for the fans. It sells tickets and hot dogs. Doesn't mean anything. Peter Brand says, Billy, we just won 20 games in a row. And what's the point? We just got the record. Brad Pitt with those soft dog eyes says, man, I've been doing this for... Listen, man, I've been in this game a long time. I'm not in it for a record. I'll tell you that. I'm not in it for a ring. That's when people get hurt. If we don't win the last game of the series, they'll dismiss us. Peter Brand, Billy, finally Billy Bean. I know these guys. I know the way they think, and they will erase us. And everything we've done here, none of it will matter. Any other team wins the World Series, good for them. They're drinking champagne. They get a ring. But if we win on our budget with this team will have changed the game. And that's what I want. I want it to mean something. Does your work mean something, audience? If so, and you choose to remain, do find your mid-range niche. Stay safe. Do not be too bold. Do not be too complacent. 
but work hard enough to remain skilled, safe, and successful. Unwind with me, Pontiance. Unwind that God D-Star's Daily Grind. Stick around for your next Chemohawk Dose. Chapter 26, White Collar, Black Belt, Whooping Coffee Clatch. A 7 Deadly Synergy session on Sphere of Influenza. Falsetto out.